0: In 1 Kings 3, 9, we read where Solomon rakes the request, therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours? In this request, it's probably one of the wisest things that Solomon ever did. Now, there's some jokes to be made in there about some other things he did, but I'll leave those alone at this time. This is probably the wisest thing that he ever did. And he sets for us a good example in that we also can ask for a wise and discerning heart as we stand before the challenge that lies before us, the straight and narrow road. It is just as immense, it is just as important individually to us that we have a successful travel down that road as it was to Solomon that he would have a good travel down the road that lay before him. And while we are looking at an Old Testament passage, and we kind of prefer the new sometimes, we don't always have a comfortable grip with that old, but that's another lesson, the idea of praying for wisdom and understanding is also a New Testament concept, as you're reading there in James chapter 1 and verse 5. In this particular context, it is the context of asking for wisdom and understanding when you're in the midst of suffering. I think that's still quite appropriate because as you travel the straight and narrow road that leads to heaven, there is going to be some suffering. There are going to be some difficult times. There are going to be some real challenges that you must face. And if you don't have understanding on how to face those challenges, then it becomes very likely that Satan will win. And that's the one thing we don't want him to do. We are here to beat the devil at his game. We are here to stand upon the foundation of the word, cleansed in the blood, and to move forward victoriously and not let Satan come out ahead. However, this is not a passive endeavor on our part, but one that requires effort on our part. In Hosea 4 and verse 6, he said his people were destroyed because of lack of knowledge. It is a basic Understanding that we must have in order to travel the path that lies before us successfully. Now, we most certainly can do it. There's no question about it. And many, many will do it. As the Revelation writer said, there was a crowd before the throne so big, no one could number it. And we're going to be part of that crowd if we keep our focus and we stay true to the end. There's no question about it. However, again, as I've already said, it is an interactive thing. God didn't just pluck us out and set us on a shelf and say, okay, you're safe, don't worry about anything. But rather he said, now you... Travel the straight and narrow road. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as he said in Philippians 2 and 12. He said, you be watchful for your adversary, the devil, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. So there's a lot that is upon us in order to achieve this. But when God's on your side, you just can't lose as long as you keep your focus. Remember the little saying somebody came up with, one plus God is majority, and that's all you got to have. As long as God is on your side, who can be against you? And so we have success. Now, Matthew six eleven. this verse doesn't look like it fits, does it? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, you know, if you're thinking physical bread, it probably doesn't look like it fits too much, but that's okay. I think the emphasis probably ought to be more on the spiritual bread, though we won't argue the actual meaning of the context here too much. Matthew 4, 4 says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every... Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we do as James 1.5 said, we pray for wisdom. We seek the knowledge and understanding that the people that Hosea referred to lack. But we get out and we work for it. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, if we're thinking about physical food, we pray for it. And then we don't sit down at an empty table and wait for it to manifest itself. But rather we get up and we go to work. We do what we can do to obtain that food. Likewise, the spiritual food. We pray, give us this day our daily bread, because we know we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and then we go looking for it. Now, that's really pretty simplified, if you'll let me illustrate just for a very quick moment where you go looking for it. It's not a big mystery, is it? Now, there's quite a few pages here, so there's a lot to look at in this particular field, but... This is where we go look for it. And when we look for that, we can find it. And when we find it, our soul is nourished, and we move on successfully toward that ultimate path, which is eternal life. Now, if we miss it, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine 29 would tell us that it's the not knowing the scriptures that causes a lot of error. And religion is, um, in some cases, really an experiment in the chaotic, isn't it? I mean, think about it a second. In religion, anybody, any place, anywhere, especially in America, can open up a church and they can call it anything they want to call it and they can practice anything they want to practice and the only person they've got to keep happy is the IRS. And beyond that, there's not a thing anybody else can do. And they don't even have to ever open up that book and know a thing about the Bible to call themselves a church. And that gets kind of spooky, doesn't it? And the thing that gets even scarier about it, and you work with people like this, they will tell you, they will be adamant, they will be just as certain and sincere and dogmatic as anybody you ever met, that they know what's in that book. Now, if you're in an ornery mood sometime, ask them how many times they've read that book, literally cover to cover. Now and then, somebody will be able to tell you they have done it. But most of them don't be, be able to tell you they've done it. They'll be like, well, I, but, but, but I know. And they'll, they'll just plant their feet and they'll just be as certain in their error as they can be. But not knowing the scriptures is what gets us in all kinds of trouble. So that understanding heart comes from knowing the Scriptures. And this is vital because eternity hangs in the balance. Now, if you believe, as we sang about that golden street just a few moments ago, that over there somewhere, however you envision that, you're going to step through a pearly gate and you're going to put your foot on a street that's made of gold. And if you believe the other option is this lake that we would describe in Revelation 21 and 8 as burning with fire and brimstone. Now, if you really believe that your two options are, I get the golden street, or I get the lake that burns the fire and brimstone. I got one or the other. And this book, the Bible, is the place that we get to understanding so we end up in a better place. Then it seems like we've got a pretty simple task before us is to learn the book. This is vitally important. This is, this is the, the key. This is the cornerstone, if you will. This is the thing that you've got to get or else eternity is not going to be anything like the month of December and all the holidays that we enjoy this time of the year. That's an understatement to say the least, isn't it? I want to talk about four areas. Keep it rather brief. Don't get too excited. You know how preachers are when we talk about brief. But I want to talk about four areas where understanding is vitally important, and I want to encourage you to get your own understanding of the Scriptures. Now, we're going to start with the area of truth. I'm going to use Second 2 Timothy 2.15, which most of us know by heart. I've highlighted the part I want to emphasize because it's not about impressing me. It's not about you as a member impressing the elders or the deacons or your Bible class teacher. It's about showing yourself approved to God. Because if God does not approve, then you're in trouble. That's all there is to it. I don't care if every establishment on the face of the earth approves of you. If God doesn't approve, you're lost. He's the one that holds the power of life and death. He's the one that says you're going to heaven. Are you going to hell? And thus you must have His approval. So we must start off with gaining an understanding of the Word because without that understanding of the Word, what else do we have? That is the very foundation, John eight thirty two. You can quote that one by heart, too. You should know the truth and the truth. Should make you free. That's what it's about. It's about getting a relationship with the truth, not just knowing about the truth, but incorporating that truth. So as it was said in the prayer, we may be better Christians. That's what it's about. That's the discipleship of Christianity. Now, the exciting thing about it, if you're using Ecclesiastes thirty-three eleven, is God wants you to get it. God. Didn't write it in such a way that the average person couldn't pick it up and understand it, or the average group of people, such as a congregation of us, couldn't get it. He doesn't take delight in the wicked perishing. He wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be saved. And so, while it is going to take some work on your part, this isn't a Fun with Dick and Jane reader. This isn't ABC 123. But if you're an adult, and you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, as Christ taught in Matthew 6 and 33, if you'll do those things, then God will delight because He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is not a bully sitting up there looking for some way to trip somebody up. He has given us a word that if we apply ourselves to it, we can understand that word. And I would go on to argue a little more that it's not that difficult. I would personally say, and you can disagree with me a little bit on this if you want to, but I would personally say that 90% plus of it is pretty simple to understand. When he said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, just how tough was that really to figure out? When he said, let him who stole steal no longer, just really how tough was that to figure out? How long do you have to sit there and scratch your head and go, boy, I wonder what that means, don't steal anymore? When he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? When he said husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, seemed pretty simple. When he said women, obey your husbands. Well, that one's a little tougher. But nonetheless, you see, it's really just not all that tough to figure out. Now, I agree, there's a few things in the book of Revelation that I still don't have figured out. And that whole first chapter of Ezekiel with the wheel and the eyes and the faces, and all, I don't have that one figured out either. But just how vital is understanding the first chapter of Ezekiel To my living a Christian life daily so that when I end up, I end up at the pearly gate and that golden street. You see what I'm saying? Most of it just isn't that tough to understand. Oh, there's a few things we'll quibble about. But for the most part, when he says homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, I don't need a whole lot of debate on figuring out what that means. I think I got that one pretty quick. And I think you can get most of it pretty quick too. And then those little areas that we do want to fuss about, And that's why we have Bible class and private discussions and nowadays we've got email and the internet and everything else and we can work on those few also. God doesn't want anyone to perish is the point. He gave us a word that we can understand. I don't think it's the parts we don't understand that upset us so much. It's the part that we do understand that makes us uncomfortable. And if you'll think about that for a minute, I think you'll be pretty much in agreement with us. God wants you in heaven. He gave you the book, the instructions for you to get yourself there. And He wants you there so much that He allowed Calvary to unfold and Christ to suffer those things that we can't imagine so that you could put your foot on that street of gold. But you must come to an understanding of the Word, number one. Next thing, you've got to start to understand yourself. Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves, and you've got to examine yourselves. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the toughest part of the straight, narrow road is the part that goes through your own heart. I think that is the absolute toughest place for an individual to go. In Proverbs 16, 2, he said, the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. It is so, so, so easy for me to sit down with myself and say, yeah, I'm right, I'm right about that, I'm right about that, I'm right about that one too. Yeah, he's wrong about that one, but I'm right about that. And it's just really easy to sit down and say, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. Now, folks, i got a little bit of an ego, I know, any preacher would. But I also got sense enough to know that I can't be right about everything. I don't believe anybody bats a thousand, save the Lord Jesus Himself, and the rest of us need to back off and look in the Scriptures problem is, we look in the Scriptures, you remember how James talked about the guy that looks in the mirror and then he goes away and forgets what he looked like? We take that mirror of God's Word and we look at that and we see something we don't like and we go, yeah, but that's not me. My case is different. And, you know, just so easy to dismiss things and not really understand self. Again, knowing yourself, truly understanding yourself as God understands you is going to be probably the most challenging aspect of your Christian discipleship that you ever engage. Again, I'm not saying I want you to see yourself as your mama sees you or see yourself as your friends see you or see yourself as the church sees you. I want you to learn to see yourself as God sees you because He is the judge. He's the one you got to give account to. And therein lies the biggest challenge I can think of is learning to have this integrity doesn't that sound odd to say it? The self-integrity to look yourself in the mirror and say, yep, I'm wrong about that. Now yep, that's another weak spot. There's another area I've got to be working on. And no, I hadn't been doing real good in that area either. And by the time I start listing up all those areas when compared to God's perfection where I fall short and say, yep, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on trying. Understanding what the discipleship is about is tough. Now, it's easy to sit around and point everybody else's faults out. We do that without any hesitation at all. That comes just as easy as watching TV, doesn't it? But when it comes to looking at yourself in the mirror and really trying to see what God sees now, it becomes a whole nother ball game, And this must become a priority because if this isn't a priority, if you can't be honest with yourself in the things of this life that are temporary, then how will God ever give you the things of that life that are eternal on the other side? So we've got our two areas that we've got to work on. We've got to work on that one area where we talk about studying the Word and learning the Word. And then we've got to lurk on this area that we talk about the self. Now, we've got a third area. And that is we're going to have to learn about others and learn to be understanding of others. Let's go to Matthew 22 and 39. Matthew 22 and 39. And let's talk about understanding other people for a minute. Going to learn the word? That's your key. That's your linchpin, if you would. Going to learn yourself. If you don't get that one, you've just missed it all. And then we're going to go to our third area and understand others. Matthew 22 and 39. After he's told them the greatest law, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, then he says the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now ponder that one for a moment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how easy it is to dismiss our own faults? How easy it is to be so easy upon ourselves? We need to learn to be easy upon other people also. Now we're not saying blind. I'd like you to look at John 7 and 24. We're not saying that you turn a blind eye and you never see anything in somebody else's life. But what we are saying is that when we approach other folks, we do it from a Bible basis. We do it from a Calvary basis. God looked upon man who was steeped in sin, and while we were still the enemy, Christ died for us. Now, if God can be that compassionate, that humbling, that condescending given us, and come down to us and help us when we're so far beneath Him, then truly, surely, we can do something similar. In John 7, 24, He says, don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment." Now, if you would turn over 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's talk about that in just a second. What you want is you look at other people. It's so easy, especially with all the suspicion that we have nowadays in our modern society and all the, if you're a soap opera person, you really know how to weave together a tale of what might be going on and how it could really be happening and not really judge the way it ought to be. Sometimes things don't look the way they really are. And so instead of judging According to appearance, we try to understand people are struggling, people are suffering, people are going through stuff. Life is tough for all of us. If we were all to sit around and start to list our challenges, you see, one of the problems we have is it's too easy for me to just sit here and look at you on the pew. And go, oh, man, you've got your life all together. You, you've got it made, don't you? You're not dealing with this and this and that and that. And see, what I do in my mind is I start listing off the problems I'm dealing with. Now, I'm not going to do that right now. But, you know, i got them in my life, but I look at you and I don't see your problems. Now, see, the thing is you do the same thing. You sit there in your pew, and you look at other people. We're sitting around in our Sunday best, and we're looking pretty good, uh, and you say, boy, it looks like he's doing pretty good, I think he's getting it all together. Boy, it's a good thing he's not dealing with, it. and you're going through your problems in the back of your mind, you see. Or sometimes we get a little more diabolical, and it's we look at him and go, yeah, but I bet Friday night they were out, and we've got all these evil suspicions going on. And as we learn to deal with others and understand others, this whole passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13, is one of the places you've got to come back to, now again, not asking you to be stupid and naive, but at the same time, I am ask you to, to try to come back to a Bible base where he says, love suffers long, that is is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, thinks no evil. Ooh, let's go back to that one more time. Thinks no evil. Now again, I'm not asking you to be naive and blind, But at the same time, when you sit around and you don't know the story and you try to understand other people and you implement this passage, then instead of a bunch of horrific suspicions, you come away with something much more compassionate. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails Now, that's what we do as we try to understand one another. Go over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I want to emphasize this just a little bit more. When we talk about compassion in other people, uh, we are not talking about see no evil, hear no evil kind of thing and put on the blinders. But we are talking about understanding and kind. A parent will get aggravated with a child. And sometimes we say we want to pull our hair out And sometimes we say we'd like to give you back. Sometimes we say some things out of frustration we don't always mean. But a parent will spend themselves over and over and over in love and compassion for the good of their child, even though sometimes we'll say things that maybe we ought not to. Likewise, with the brethren, we want to have that same self-sacrificing for their good attitude. We are not saying we sit around and pretend that everybody's okay and got their life all worked out, but when we do have to initiate things, it's for their good. It's, it's out of compassion. Brethren, if any man is overtaken and trespassed, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we understand, folks, we try, try not to be blind, I think one of the challenges we run into here is, um, let's say, for instance, um, I'm going to quit smoking. Uh, I myself quit smoking so many years ago, I can't imagine what it's like to smoke anymore. It's easy to oversimplify how easy it was, since memory will play tricks on you, and somebody who's going through the thing currently, it may be, well, just quit. That's all you got to do, is just quit. Well, if you had a little more self-discipline, you'd just quit, right? Oh, no, it's not that easy. Um, relationship problems. You know, some people have good marriages. Some people have more um, energetic marriages. And it's easy for those of us in a good marriage just to think, well, y'all just behave. Just treat each other the way y'all to. It'll be okay. Those are kind of oversimplifications. That's not the compassion. That's not the understanding of life there is. Now, for most of us to understand a real challenge, all we've got to do is look down and see the extra 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds we've been carrying around for how long? And how many years have you been making the resolution that I'm going to lose 10 pounds? Look, if life was so simple, why is it that I carry that around? I need a spare tire. I can't do anything with that spare tire. sounds good to call it a spare tire though, doesn't it? It sounds responsible, doesn't it? Well, I'm just taking care of things just in case I need it. I'm never going to need that for anything, but that's what I call it. That's my spare tire. And well, that other one, we're not sure what to call that one yet. But why can't we see that the challenge that we have with our own things, whether it be an extra 10 pounds, uh, that extra pot of coffee you drink, those cigarettes you're smoking, those words you're not supposed to use, that you do use, uh, that temper that you haven't learned to control yet, whatever your challenge is that we label as different, this is different. That's just not the same as your problem. Why can't we see the complexity of life that we excuse ourselves with? And I'm not saying excuse other people, but have a compassion toward other people as they fight with the struggles they fight with, and help them to come up and stand, to, as he said in Hebrews ten twenty four, stir up love and good works, to stand upon that good, solid, straight, narrow road, so that we all together might travel the path in understanding of one another, knowing that all of us deserve what? Eternal hell, right? Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We just get this different thing going sometimes. That, well, yeah, I've sinned, but I didn't do what you did. Well, no, I didn't do what you did, maybe. But the fact is we all deserve eternal condemnation. And understanding means that I understand that without the blood of Christ, I'm eternally lost just as anybody else. Even if all I had theoretically was one sin, without the blood of Christ, I'm lost and I'm going to eternal ruin just like the worst sinner you can imagine. And so understanding other people helps bring about a joy and a unity that we can have in this life where we're not always going to see eye to eye, we're not always going to agree on everything, but at the same time there's going to be a joy there that helps make the whole travel better. And it's going to come back based on that book, chapter, and verse foundation. So number one, you've got to have an understanding of the book, chapter, and verse foundation, the truth. Number two, then these I would say are the most vital, you've got to have an understanding of yourself. If you can't get those two down we're not going to see you in heaven. Can I say that one more time? If you can't get these two down, honestly, really, I mean, really with yourself, we're not going to see you in heaven. Number three, you're going to try to learn to be understanding with other people because you don't really know what's going on in their lives. You hadn't walked in their shoes. And so as much as we can, we're going to show compassion. Now, we don't want to be blind to sin. We're going to hold each other accountable. But at the same time, we're not trying to destroy one another. We're trying to lift one another up. And then the fourth point that I want to do is Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And this is going to be the straight and narrow path. Folks, this is a straight and narrow path that we're following. I've already said it once, at the risk of redundancy, I'll say it again. This is not a fun with Dick and Jane reader. This is not ABC 1, 2, 3. This is serious, serious stuff. And Christ tries to get that through to us when He says to us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. The majority are not going to make it. The majority are going to be lost. Look around this room. There's a lot sitting in this room that are good people. We like good people, but they're going to lose their focus on the straight and narrow before they get that foot on the golden street through the pearly gate, and they're not going to be there because it's tough. There are issues out there that we want to smooth over in our our nice modern American way. Look at James 2.10. Now, a lot of you could quote James 2.10 by heart, and when you see it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know that verse, and you do. James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point is guilty of all. Contemplate that a moment. When we say this is a straight and narrow way, this is a difficult way. This is one you better keep your eyes open or you're going to get yourself in a whole lot of trouble. We're not just trying to be, I don't know, dramatic We're not trying to scare you. you I'm not against people being a little scared and motivated to start with, but I'd like you to have a little higher motivation than fear. You know, it's one thing when Mama said, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to spank you. You know, and that's good. I got the room clean. But it's better when you did it out of love and respect instead of out of fear. I'd rather you follow Christ out of love and respect and desire and that ardent desire to be with Him as opposed to Just, I'm scared to death of going to hell. No, I I guess it's wrong. Nothing is jailhouse religion. I think a lot of folks have got a good start in something similar of jailhouse religion, if not literally so. But we want you to the point where you have a passion for it, and you don't want to stumble. You don't want to mess up in one single point. Your desire is to be as pure as you can be and to walk that straight and narrow path. Because if you blow it in one point, especially if you maliciously blow it, but I'm going to go on in a minute give you Matthew 15, 14 and warn you against ignorance, but if you maliciously blow it, not a chance. Now, think about it this way. There's a lot of guys incarcerated this morning. Did they have to break every law in the book to get incarcerated? Now, a lot of them broke several laws, I'll guarantee you that, but some of them just broke one law. All you got to do to be an outlaw with God is break one law. Brethren, it's that serious. We start smoothing it over and we start yeah button. If you're a yell yeah, yes, butter, we're not going to see you in heaven either. Because people who start yeah, yes, button and what if and God's word, they're not the people who have that heart that surrenders totally to God's word and sacrifices to it and says, I want whatever Jesus wants. They're the people who are really saying, I want what I want, but I think I'll take a little Jesus on the side. We're not going to see them in heaven. Matthew 15, 14. Did the blind lead the blind? Where do they both fall? In the ditch. That's Matthew 15, 14. That's my paraphrase, but you get the idea. When we say this is a straight and narrow way and you've got to be familiar with it, you cannot count on Clarence to get you to heaven. Even if I am dead right, your faith cannot be in me. Your faith has to be in the Word of God. You have to have your own faith in God, Christ, the blood, Calvary, all that to get to heaven. You cannot just say, well, mom and dad were good members of the church and, and I, I'm pretty sure they were right and I'm going to follow them. It, it doesn't work that way. If I happen to be wrong, no matter how sincerely right I think I am, and I think most people think they are right, and I think most of them are sincere. I don't think there are too many blatant con artists out there. Now, there are some, but I think most preachers in most pulpits today are sincere. At the same time, I think most preachers in most pulpits are wrong. And most of them think I'm wrong, so that's not a big insult to them. Nonetheless, if you just get behind a preacher, if you just get behind a congregation and say, well, I think they're good folks, I'm not going to waste my time studying it, I'm just going to go wherever they go, you may. And that may not be good. And I don't think you can blindly walk your way into heaven anyway. I think if you don't have a personal relationship with the Word, with your Savior, with God... I don't think you get there on a secondary relationship if you get in Madrid. And so you've got to understand the straight and narrow way. One more time, let's go back to Matthew 7, 21, and we'll bring the lesson to a close. You know the passage, it's been a couple of weeks since I used it, so let's use it again. This is how straight and narrow the straight and narrow way is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name." Now, pause. They did what they did in the name of Jesus. They did what they did, and it looked religious. They did what they did, and I'm sure other people said, "'Wow, look at that church.'" And Christ said, and then I will declare to them, "'I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness.'" Pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? Brethren, you got to understand, it's a straight and narrow road and we start to yes button and yell button and all those other things, we're going to get ourselves right out of heaven and into eternal ruin. We started out with 1 Kings 3.9 where he said, give your servant an understanding heart. We need that same prayer. This is vital. This is eternity. This is all there is. As i say, if you miss heaven, you've just missed all there is. I would use Matthew 16.26 where he said, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what you got? You got nothing. Are you focused on the straight and narrow? Are you endeavoring to get that understanding heart? Are you reading that book a verse a day, a paragraph a day, a chapter a day? I don't care how much, but are you into that book day by day? Are you praying? Are you focusing? Are you traveling? If so, stay the course. If not, it's time to give yourself a swift kick in the seat of the pants and say, what am I doing? Eternity's hanging in the balance. You're not going to blindly stumble into heaven. You're going to get there by following the Word. If you're following the Word, you stay the course. If you need to make a change, we're here to help any way we can while we stand and sing.